Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the second chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that, was, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The only truly surprising thing that has ever happened in the history of the world is that God took on human flesh and lived and died for us. Everything else that happens is quite expected. As Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. The truly surprising thing, the thing that should set us all reeling that should make us shocked and amazed is that God took on human flesh so that he could live and die for us. Everything else is a little bit boring. There's no surprise really in many of the things that happen in our lives or many of the things that happen in the history of the world, including what happened in our lesson this morning, that King Herod sent his soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all of the boys under two years of age. It's not surprising. Tragic, yes. Terrible, yes. Evil and wicked, to be sure. But there's no surprise there. Herod really just fits in sequence with a long, long list of other kings and rulers who have done similarly ruinous things. Go back to the beginning. Jacob, in our lesson from Genesis, is about to head to Egypt with his family, where he will live and his family will live for a long, long time. And at some point, God put them under the yoke of Pharaoh. Pharaoh arose who forgot Jacob and Joseph, and so the people of Israel became slaves. And you remember that that Pharaoh threatened all of the baby boys of the Israelites, gave instructions that they were to be tossed in the Nile River, they were to be destroyed. Pharaoh had done this before. Even Israelite kings were full of this kind of wickedness. King Ahab took what he wanted from anyone and everyone, a neighbor who was living peacefully. He stole from him. 
his vineyard and killed him in the process. King Ahaz, one of the kings of Israel, sacrificed his own children on an altar to an idol. Nebuchadnezzar, the king who is reigning over Babylon at the time of Daniel, he threatened anyone who wouldn't offer prayers to his name. He threatened anyone who wouldn't bow down and worship his statues. And through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to their fate, to their ruin, he threw them away because he was so proud. He thought he was such a wonderful thing. Even in more recent history, think about the Christian era, the Roman emperors who persecuted Christians, tossing them to the lions in the Colosseum, killing anyone who proclaimed the name of God, who trusted in the name of God. This kind of wickedness from kings has followed a thread throughout history, even into the modern times. So you know that the 20th century is one of the most brutal centuries that ever was. More people killed even by their own rulers than in any other century in the history of the world. It's no surprise. It's no surprise that King Herod would send his soldiers to kill the baby boys in Bethlehem. He was already troubled from the moment that he heard that Jesus had been born. When the wise men showed up and asked where Jesus could be found, Herod was troubled. His heart was churning within him because he had a grip on this kind of power, this kind of power that really people often crave and hold on to desperately. The power to do what you want with impunity, the power to make other people do what you want them to do. Herod had a grip on this power and Jesus threatened that. Even a little baby threatened that because he was to be a king. Power makes all kinds of promises and Herod was holding fast to those promises and anything that was going to get in the way needed to go. Revealing how threadbare, how thin that power really is. If you have to kill a baby to maintain your power, you really don't have anything at all, do you? There's no guarantee there. It's a weak and frail kind of an idol, just like every other idol in this world. Power's a lot like money or health, making great promises until it can't anymore, until it's gone, and then you're left hanging. Herod knew that, and that's why he went and threatened Jesus, threatened all the baby boys in Bethlehem. He must destroy his enemies. He has to. That's all he's got. If he wants to stay in the position that he's in, he has to get rid of any competitor, including his own family. So Herod was infamous for having killed his own children to save his throne, even his own wife, to preserve his power. It's no surprise. It's no surprise that Herod would send his soldiers to Bethlehem. That's what wicked rulers do. That's what they've always done in the history of this world. But it's also no surprise because while it's easy to point our fingers at wicked rulers, people who are kind of high profile and put their wickedness on display before the history of the world, their wickedness is the same wickedness that inheres in all of humanity. It's just that when you're a powerful person, you can carry out all of your wicked desires with impunity. What are they going to do? The soldiers are yours. The army is yours. You can get away with it. And when you can get away with it, you discover that you can do all kinds of wicked things and no one will stop you. But it's the same kind of wickedness that really reigns in every human heart that we see all around us in the world. Sin is a dreadful thing and it makes people lose their minds. So you heard it from Herod when he, was, when he realized that he had been tricked by the wise men. He became furious. 
And he lashed out, kind of like a little child, not getting what he wants. He loses his mind. He becomes small and insignificant. He throws a fit, which is just like every one of the rest of us. What do we do inside of our hearts when we do not get what we want? Our instinct is to throw a fit, to lose our minds, to become furious and enraged, to think that everyone else is against us, and to do what we can to have our way. You can see this across the board, not only in your own hearts, but just in the world all around you. So I think that it's fitting on a day like today, when we're considering the massacre of these baby boys in Bethlehem, it's fitting to think about the plague of abortion in our country, in our world, where individuals think, I want something, and this life is in my way. What a dreadful and terrible thing. What an awful fate for a child. What an awful fate for a human being to be so burdened by sin, to dig such a deep hole, to lose one's mind so grievously. It's dreadful. It's terrible. And abortion is not the only instance of this in our world. Wickedness abounds. It is not surprising. We should not be surprised by wickedness. We should not throw our hands up in the air and ask, what has come of our world? We shouldn't be surprised. It's how things have always gone since Adam and Eve fell into sin. It's how things go even within our hearts. So think about your instinct to lie or to cheat or to steal or to gossip or whatever it might be just to get your way. Think about those instincts which you have to work to suppress, which you have to wrestle against, which you have to struggle with. Think about how unsurprising that is. That's the way human hearts are. Now, that can be a really fatalistic thing, and a lot of the world does end up just throwing up its arms and saying, well, this is what we've got. We might as well embrace it. Might as well each one of us try to have our own, put number one first, forget about what anybody else says, live and let die, whatever it might be. None of that reckons with this really important fact, which for those who love righteousness, for those who love goodness, should be really reassuring, and it's this. That God is not wicked. God is just. And he avenges injustice. God is not just sitting idly by watching Herod kill all of those baby boys in Bethlehem. He's not just sitting idly by watching as abortions are committed beyond number with impunity. He's not just sitting idly by while people lie and cheat and steal and gossip. But God promises Vengeance on the unjust. He promises punishment for the wicked. The way that God's wrath is described is like a cup that is going to be poured out. Picture that. He's coming with fire and thunder and an earthquake and darkness to pour out his wrath on unrighteousness, on wickedness in this world. To end it like he did at the time of the flood and in this case once and for all. That's what God promises which is good for those who love righteousness. To have a world free of wickedness, that is the hope. That is the goal. That is what we put our trust in. That's the promise that we're waiting for God to fulfill. He's going to pour out his wrath. He's going to wash the earth clean. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. He does it already when he puts to death those who commit wickedness. 
Herod died, and he could be wicked no more. Pharaoh died, Nebuchadnezzar died, Ahab died. They all died. Every empire, every wicked ruler in the history of the world has died because they have come under the thumb of God's justice. That should be really reassuring to anyone who loves righteousness. But there's this essential point to bear in mind. That while God is not idly sitting by watching wickedness go on in this world, he is also not avenging according to our timing or our plans or our hopes and our dreams. It's according to his purposes. It's according to his justice. It's according to his good and gracious will for all of his people. That's why when Paul describes the birth of Jesus, he says that it was in the fullness of time that Jesus was born. In the fullness of time, God brings justice on the earth. God brings an end to every kind of wickedness. Now, like I said, that's a really hopeful thing. Imagine what it's like to have been the victim of a crime and then to find out that the criminal, the one who hurt you, who did such destructive actions, that that person has been brought to justice. That's a relief. It's a hopeful thing. You've been set free from the burden of wickedness running rampant. But what does it do for what you've lost? What does God's vengeance do? What does his justice do for Rachel, who is weeping for her children? You heard this quotation from Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, the mother of Israel, of Israel's children. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Here's the question. God's vengeance is coming against wickedness, but what good does that do for Rachel? What good does that do for you? When you suffer at the hands of the wicked, when you suffer injustice, when you suffer for Christ's sake, what good does that do for you? What good does it do for all of those baby boys born in Bethlehem who were killed by King Herod? Now, this day that we celebrate is often called the Feast of the Holy Innocents, the Holy Martyrs, the first martyrs of the church. And in one sense, those boys were, in fact, innocent. They had done nothing to Herod. They had committed no crime. They did not deserve to have the government come after them, to kill them, to put them to death. They had committed no wickedness in the eyes of the world. They were innocent. But there is another sense, of course, in which they were not innocent at all, because there is, in fact, a bigger problem than kings like Pharaoh or Herod coming after you. There's a bigger problem than the wickedness that reigns rampant in our world. There's a bigger problem than the injustice that we suffer at the hands of the unrighteous. And the bigger problem is in our own hearts. To die at the hands of a king like Herod is no big deal when you have to face a judge like God on the last day. To die at the hands of a wicked king is trivial. When you have no answer to give for the sin inside of your own heart. The bigger problem than injustice is this, that those baby boys, as innocent as they were in the eyes of the world, they were not innocent. They were full of sin. They were destined for hell on their own. They were beset by wickedness. They needed something better. They needed something better than a cup of wrath being poured out against the unjust rulers of this world. They needed something better. They, in fact, needed precisely what God gave to them. 
For while they died in Bethlehem, Jesus was kept safe. His parents took him to Egypt so that he wouldn't die. He was kept safe and he grew up and he lived a perfect life, an innocent life. And he died an innocent death, again in the hands of a wicked king. He died an innocent death for their sake, for the sake of those little boys in Bethlehem. He died an innocent death for you. He died an innocent death for the whole world, in spite of its wickedness, in spite of the unrighteousness that reigns, in spite of all of the evil deeds that have ever been done in the history of the world. In fact, exactly because of them, because there is no cure, not even all of the justice in the world can cure the problem that each of us suffers in our hearts, the sins that we bear on account of our fallen human nature. That is why Christ came. More than we need deliverance from oppressors, we need a savior. More than we need to be freed from wicked kings, we need a God who loves us. And that's exactly what we've got. The passage from Jeremiah that, that Matthew quotes about Rachel weeping, it goes on in Jeremiah. There are some verses that follow that are really important. This is what it says. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voices from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work. And you shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future and your children shall come back to their own country. God was making a promise already then to the children of Rachel. A promise that he makes to you as well. To everyone who loves righteousness, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who laments the wickedness of this world and the wickedness in their own hearts, there's a promise that although you will suffer, unsurprisingly, Peter says, don't be surprised. Although you will suffer and the world will fall to pieces, God has a promise for you, a hope and a future, freedom from death. Restoration from sin, being made whole, every wrong righted. Everything that has been perpetrated against God's people set good. And God himself dwelling with us, reigning over us. No longer under the hand of wicked kings, no longer watching as power is wielded for wickedness, but living in peace because God is our king. Jesus is our king. And he reigns in righteousness and purity forever. So put your hope in him. When you see the wickedness of the world, lament it. Do not be surprised, however. Chalk it up as another piece of evidence. Chalk it up as another witness to the fact that we need a savior more desperately than we ever have. Do not be surprised and put your hope in God, who has promised to pull you through every fiery trial, and in fact, in doing so, to strengthen you, to increase your faith and your love, so that at last you can stand. You can stand even while the world crumbles. You can stand receiving glory from God. To him alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.